1: My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children, and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue, or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime, from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on all those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this my own podcast. I still pinch myself, but thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime.
0: Once there was this lady who was missing, so I was Googling this lady heaps and I sort of was getting a bit of an instinct that something wasn't right here. And then I went to where she was living with these three other people and knocked at the door and said, where's your housemate? Do you miss her? And they ended up being charged with her murder.
1: Sarah Lawrence has been a regular on the regional media scene since 2011. She grew up in Melbourne, then worked in newspapers and media in Geelong and Torquay while juggling a journalism degree at La Trobe Uni. Moving to Bendigo, she never imagined that she'd enjoy regional life so much, working at Prime 7 and Win News with a short stint in Wagga Wagga. In 2017, Sarah moved to Nine News, where she helped set up the Central Victorian Bureau, as senior reporter. A senior being all of, well, I thought she was 25, but she's just told me she's 32. She looks like she's about 20, but that's me. But again, Sarah, I'll show a senior, my friend. Uh, I've got an ID card to prove and a government ID card to prove it. Uh, Sarah believes that there's huge opportunities in regional media. Journalists are often covering courts, crime and politics. However, with regional media comes quiet days due to smaller populations, which leave journalists hungry for strong stories with good vision. Journalism, like policing, is very different in the country, as are many careers. Today, we're going to go behind the scenes of reporting crime, the impact that some of the stories have had on Sarah, how she finds a story. How she builds the story and what does it have to have to get onto the news? How does a a TV reporter manage those stories that break your heart? How do they keep a straight face sometimes recanting an amusing story? Well, we're about to find out. So welcome, Sarah Lawrence. Hi, Narelle. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. So, how does it feel to be the person being interviewed rather than you being the interviewer? Have I got you all nervous? Because that's my plan.
0: Yep. Yep. Twenty <laughs> palms. Yep.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, uh, here we go. So, can you give us a snapshot? of how a story gets onto the nightly news like where does the story start how do you get it all that sort of stuff
0: yep it, it starts with well depending on the story it starts with a lot of curiosity so you might you might have something come up on email there might be something on social media you might see something in, an, in another publication and then it sort of goes from there and um, even though our day technically starts at eight thirty, most of my colleagues and I were up at seven o'clock, checking our phones, going through stuff, even even at nighttime, it gets a little bit addictive. You might be looking through, seeing what's happening. And then from there, um, getting to the office or sometimes even even from home, depending on how hungry you are for the story, you'll start making calls, um, organising interviews, and then coordinating with your camera operator, heading out and doing all the interviews, coming back, writing, then um, getting your script subbed, and then a sub-editor who might be in Melbourne and then after that getting it edited and then sent off and on the news.
1: Oh, so easy. Um, (laughs) Nothing to it. You just said then that you might wake up at seven o'clock and you start reading and looking for interesting uh, stories. What would be a story that you would think, ah, there's a story in that, I'll give them a ring? What sort of things is it that you're looking at?
0: Ooh, the typical, you know, the, well, when it comes to crime, anything like that, anything that's going to get a big community reaction that a lot of people have a reaction to, um, Anything that sort of excites people or has a lot of divisive opinions mm-hmm. with TV, especially, it has to be visually good. So anything that's got good pictures that we can get to in the day, because we've got such tight deadlines, um, we want to make sure, ideally, that everything can be filmed and and done by two o'clock. So it's all it's a lot of chasing.
1: And so, how long would a normal TV news story take to compile?
0: On average. it can take anywhere from two hours to four hours to five hours depending on how far you've got to travel normally when you get to a story the average time you would spend there I always estimate an hour sometimes it can be a little bit longer sometimes it can be a little bit less and then um, going back to write it depending on the story and how how much it flows and you've connected with it it might take anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour to write and then to edit is the same deal. It depends on the editor. Some some of them are really fast. Some of them might want to put more work into it. So it can be anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour as well. So sort of overall, it, it's anywhere from sort of an hour to three hours.
1: And I suppose also in the country, you've got the traveling, haven't you? Like uh, in uh, Melbourne metropolitan, for instance, you might be I don't know, 20 minutes, it can be 10 minutes from a story to go and interview somebody, but the country you can be driving for hours, can't you?
0: Yeah, yep. You get to know your camera operators really well and and talk a lot of (laughs) crap and they become like your fifth best friend that knows everything about your life.
1: (laughs) that sounds like a little bit like on the div van as a, a cop you know, you can spend a lot of time in the car with somebody just, you know, going from jobs or discussing the jobs or whatever. And I get that. You do start to divulge some stuff. You think, my God, you know, this guy or this woman next to me is hearing my life story. I get that. Yeah, that's funny. Um, So can you tell us what it's like to report on a serious crime?
0: can be quite exciting it's it's interesting (laughs) it's it can be a thrill it can be lots of emotions because you feel that sort of responsibility to be able to portray their their story in a a sensitive way and to not upset family members or the people involved so there's there's that pressure I guess the difference I often think of this with with policing and, and and even lawyering that we're not we're not really responsible in many ways for what's happening. Well, we're not responsible at all for, for what's happening with the people. So um, there's that disconnection which I think can make things a little bit easier. Hmm.
1: You said that's f- funny you say that uh, about that crime is exciting and isn't it weird? It is exciting and I still find when I listen to crime it is exciting. You want to know why would somebody do that? How did it happen? Um, and you are—you've always been interested in crime, haven't you?
0: Yeah, and even now though, Norell, I, I turned up to a missing person one a few weeks ago, and I said, "Well, mate, Norell Fraser says parachute theory." Keep an <laughs> open mind. So, yeah, <laughs> you've taught me a lot.
1: Oh, that's funny. Um, and just to help the listeners there. Um, uh, the parachute theory uh, at detective training school, they teach you that your mind is like a parachute and it only works if it's open. And it's a very, very salient point, isn't it, with um, with anything to keep your mind open. And that's funny that you take that away from stuff that I've said. Oh, the old parachute theory, all coming back. Um, is there a particular type of crime... That you try to avoid covering, and if so, why?
0: Yeah, anything to do with children, I personally don't like because it can. You've got to be careful what you say in terms of the the legalities around a child, and also it's very divisive. Um the, the all the emotions that come with children can, you know. And um, I remember you saying when you. were, reporting on the Harley Hicks one, you're like, well, I, I don't have children. I'll take this one on, on board because it, it upsets the parents and that type of thing. And I, mm. I I also don't have children and I think, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I'm not understanding this enough. Maybe I'm not connecting. I, I hope I don't offend anyone. It, it just carries more of that burden. And animal cruelty, I don't like.
1: No, oh, you so. know, it's funny. I'm not an animal person at all, but There's something about cruelty to animals that I just I I can't deal with, and I think a lot of that goes back to my experiences with sex crimes. When somebody is a a serious sex offender, you often find that they have um, prior prior convictions for cruelty to animals and um, starting fires, uh, a pyromaniac, and. I don't know if that's where that comes from, that cruelty to animals with me, but I don't understand how I can be so affected by cruelty to animals when I don't um, particularly like animals. But you do because you've obviously got a dog because you've got a leave pass tonight to speak to me because your husband (laughs) is at home looking after the dog. The only reason you could come and talk to me. (laughs) So, is that why? Why do you why is it animals that um, affect you so much? Do you know?
0: No, I guess it's that thing of like similar to, to children, they don't have control over the situation. It's it's and people's reactions. I, I find when um, I did one on a, on a bag of kittens that were found dead, and we turned up to a work site and we're next to where the kittens were found Dead in the bag and and the people were so selfish about it and they didn't care. And I thought, oh, it it just brings out the worst in some people as well, their their reactions, which can make you quite uncomfortable. Hmm.
1: When when you just said then, or when I asked you about what type of crime do you try and avoid, and I understand about children because most people are the same, but how do you get out of like if you're the only if you're Johnny on the spot, if you're the only one you do you get a choice as to whether, look, I can't do this or uh, like how does that work?
0: uh it all comes down to timing and logistics so as to who's closest um, who's nearby, who might be starting later or earlier uh, if your colleague that you're working with at the time might really like court or might might really like a particular type of crime, you might call them and negotiate and say, would you like to do this instead? So Mm. a lot of that comes into play.
1: But I don't imagine you'd get many people putting their hand up um, to um, say, oh, look, I'll do that, uh, the one with the, the, you know, the story with the child, like cruelty or something like that. Like can you avoid it or not?
0: Uh, in in some ways, yeah. If you had a legitimate reason, and you said, "Oh, just I just hate doing this." Or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I know one of my my camera operators as little children. He he really doesn't like that kind of stuff. So we might say, "Well, maybe you know the other one should do it because they mm. they might be more comfortable with, or might be not as caring today, and that type mm-hmm. of thing." Mm. Uh, what's the most difficult story you've ever covered? probably last year, there was a lady called Kate Stone who was found guilty after quite a long trial of murdering her husband. And she um, poured petrol over him and and set him on fire, um, which, which was what was divulged in court. And she was 41 years old. She was sentenced to 34 years in prison with 28 non-parole but what got me doing that story was that she had five children and four daughters who I think at the time three were teenagers and one was 21 and they would turn up to court every day with their grandma and it was very hard to cover because I I felt that there wasn't a lot of uh, thought or consideration given to her daughters and I felt so sorry for them because in a way they've lost both of their parents. Their mum's in jail, their father's dead. They um, didn't come from a a great area. So it was just really sad and also the female factor of trying to get around the mindset of how on earth did this happen? Um, I find female crime a lot more something that I'll think about a lot more and feel feel a lot more affected by than, than any others that that I cover. Um, did you find that when you were policing?
1: It's funny you say that, you know, I've done a, a podcast recently with a friend who was the informant in a matter where you might know of it working in Bendigo. Um, the lady's name was Lorraine White and she poisoned her husband very slowly over a number of years they lived in bendigo and her uh, she had 3 kids and are you aware of that one his name was um no leonard moss have to look it up yeah his name was leonard moss and um, anyway she was the informant and and the wife got found guilty um but they didn't find out for 15 years that she had murdered him very slowly. Um, But, yeah, there's not a lot of women that offend, um, well, in in, you know, a murder. I mean, generally, you'd have to say, I don't know, 95% at least of um, offenders with murder are men. But that's really unusual to have a, a woman, douse somebody with petrol and, uh, did you say set them alight? Mm. Yeah, that's really unusual because, um, yeah, women generally, uh, gee, I'm generalizing here, but they, it, it's so violent, uh, like I've, you know, experienced a, a, a woman alight, she'd set herself alight, but it, it's just so violent and so traumatic, uh, that is very, very unusual. Yeah. Uh, and it certainly does, it it just goes against the grain. Like women are generally not particularly violent. They might be uh, sneaky, they might be all these different things, but violent isn't one of them.
0: Mm. Yeah, there was a lot of questions as well that I, I, if I ever met her, I'd have so many questions for her, That it's things that I thought didn't come out in court. Um yeah, it's just interesting, just very complex.
1: Uh yeah, and they they generally are. Um, and so what was the last story that you covered where you took it home and you couldn't forget about it? I imagine you have a few of them, but I'm the last one that you can remember.
0: Uh there was one last year with Jason Lowndes, who was killed when he was riding along a road in Bendigo, and he was a very, very promising cyclist. He was riding and living internationally but come home to see his parents and he got hit by by a car and then the girl went to court and in the end she she wasn't jailed for what she did but it was so sad because his parents were there and I'd actually been at the scene originally then i'd covered the campaign with his parents to get more oh. awareness of cycling and then i was in court with them and it was just they were really nice people and they spoke uh, so humbly and that was so nice so it, they were really heartbroken it was that was um it plays on your mind a lot i think um i find having seen a lot of car crashes that that i it, they're the ones that can when i drive around i think oh oh well, no that Happened there, that happened there, yeah. Um, it plays in my mind a lot. Yeah. Did you have that happen to you when you were policing? Uh, yeah, I did. In fact, um, my husband, uh,
1: has always thought about he'd love to live in North Melbourne. And when I was at Carlton as a, a, a Connie, Carlton to me, um, we did a lot of jobs in North Melbourne where they were, uh, and this is, you know, please, this is nothing against the people in North Melbourne, but I just happened to go to a lot of um, people that died in their flats alone in North Melbourne. Uh, I went to a lot of uh, drug-related investigations and um, incidents in North Melbourne. And so when he said years and years ago now about you know, I wouldn't mind living in North Melbourne. It was like, oh my God, I couldn't live there because every corner I went to, every street I went down, I'd think, yep, I went to that place and there was a you know, a deceased old man in that house and there was we did a drug raid there. So no, I get that. Yeah, very much so. Um what about uh have you covered some pretty bizarre crime
0: stories? Yeah, there's been a few. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <one> there. <laughs> oh, I've got two really funny examples. There was one that stayed with me and this is, it's quite lighthearted but it, it just bamboozled me. I went to a pub where they'd done a ram raid and taken the entire ATM machine with thousands of dolla- dollars inside. I was watching the CCTV. This criminal had a whole bar of alcohol to choose from, takes the cookie jar and to this day I'm thinking what on earth were you doing <laughs> You had like an entire pub of food and drinks and knuckle and you took the cookie jar and it was like a big round one he had to carry it with both, <laughs> both his arms tugged around <laughs> that was quite bizarre and there was another similar one I did it at a taxi service where they had had a bad break in and they took money and they took the most disgusting biscuits in in the (laughs) staff room that were probably, you know, five or six years old, black and gold. That one I always think that's bizarre. I think I know they're they're probably on all all types of things, but I always just think, oh really? That's disgusting. You know,
1: the the first thing I would think about if there was a cookie jar taken anywhere would be their kids. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Because Yeah, because generally an adult that's, um, you know, got the choice of, you know, beautiful scotches and I don't know, anything you want, and they take a cookie jar, that's the first thing I would think of, that it's probably kids. Uh, That's that's funny. Um, And talking about bizarre and funny uh, sort of situations, have you ever been midstream into a story where you can't continue it? for whatever reason, whether you're overcome with emotion or whether you're, you've are you got the giggles or have you ever had that situation happen? Oh,
0: fortunately, I haven't had anything like that that bad. But there are a few circumstances where, you, you know, yesterday I was standing on, on a ledge and it was really windy and we had the light next to us and the light kept falling down from the wind. So I'm Every take we were doing at the start of each take is me yelling at the camera operator, quick, quick, carry <laughs> up. And you get the giggles and you can't stop. But nothing overly dramatic, fortunately. Oh, there was one time I remember when we were, I was, we were literally on deadline, filling out, you know, writing the story, putting it all together, and this was at court, and we'd had photos given to us of the victim and my poor camera operator was in, in the back. I could hear him in the back doing editing and because you edit from court because it was so close to deadline and I could yeah. hear him like, like sniffling and, and wiping away tears because he was so so upset by these photos that, that sort of brought it all home and, and but the exciting thing about that was then I think we got it in within a few minutes to six o'clock and we were sitting in the car with the app watching it within minutes so that that wow. was a real thrill well
1: wow. I uh- just the questions I'm asking you, you know, it reminds me uh, when you you midstream something and you can't continue, uh, this is probably a little bit rude, but it is an adult show. But I will never forget a time that my uh, colleague and I had to, we had an interview uh, somewhere where we were looking for a, uh, a Chinese, I can't remember if it was a man or a woman, but anyway, we got to the door and the person... Uh, that we were looking for was a a person called Fuck Me. And I'll (laughs) never forget, getting to the door and saying, oh, um, uh," because the person came and it was a Chinese person. And I remember saying, "Fuck Me. And the guy that I was with, we just completely lost it. And I actually it was so unprofessional, but I actually had to go back to the div I could not concentrate. I could I just laughed and laughed and it was so embarrassing. I just couldn't stop because I remember going into the house and we continued talking about fuck me and oh no, it just I just lost it. But anyway, most unprofessional. So <laughs> so In the situations, and I'm probably talking more here about um, emotions uh, where you're um, upset about something that you report. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Life is full of awesome what ifs. And some not so much. Like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health
1: Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com reporting how do you keep your emotions in control reporting it in front of the camera
0: I think you' are under so much time pressure and it, it it's kind of like being an artist in a way like you're writing the story and you're bringing it all together that that you've kind of been work mode um, so I've never had any, any trouble there but if you what I find if I'm talking to someone, and it's a really emotional story and they're crying sometimes you'll start to cry with them which is always a bit awkward cuz then makeup's going and all that type of thing but i guess we're we're human aren't we so
1: and would that um, would you want that to be cut out or would you think well it shows that emotive human side
0: of me like how would you feel about that being shown if I was crying, well, fortunately, it's not because I'm on on the other side. I'm with the camera operator, so they, so it's more like when I go back through the interview, I'll cut the the grab of them where they're crying, and I've just got to remain quiet. Though it's like the eyes are just welling up because um, mm. otherwise, my audio would be over their audio. So, mm. Mm. you know, journalists get a fair
1: whack sometimes when they. <laughs> appear to be almost harassing somebody for a story um what what's your response to that
0: it's tricky because i do say to people well you're a consumer you you watch the news if stop watching then if if you if you really feel that strongly about it it can be we did this really good session once at at work it was uh, with a psychologist and it was about you know managing all the all the grief that we had to see and she was saying that sometimes the media can be the only people that people who are in a terrible situation get to talk to get to release their grief get to pay tribute to their loved ones so I always try to keep that in perspective and also the bigger picture um sadly a few weeks ago my my colleague and I had to go out to where a child had gone from their house and and drowned in a dam it was just Mm-hmm. Horrendous, and felt really uncomfortable doing it. And it, it was in a small town, and so I kept trying to say to her, "I'm like, look, this this is terrible, but but big picture here, this story could stop one other parent from their child wandering off and and getting into the same situation." So, trying to look at the big picture of it all. Now, in that situation, there, how
1: would you keep yourself? under uh, control your emotions to report that I couldn't imagine a more difficult um, situation to report on than that
0: yeah it is quite quite horrible fortunately that one I didn't have to do a big report on but then then like within I think it was two or three weeks we were back in another scene in Bendigo where sadly a child had crawled out of his home and, and was hit by a car on the road so yeah, it's it's quite horrible um, trying to keep your emotions under control. But you're just just going. You're just on adrenaline, and it's go go go. Get the facts. Get the get the story out there that you don't even have that much time to to digest it all. But there is a little point in the day where I, I remember I was writing, and there was people around me in the office making heaps of noise, and I felt like, saying, can you just be quiet? I'm just tr- was really trying to." Write the story in the most sensitive way, and also was feeling a lot going on, and so yeah, it's got to. I, guess I just had to breathe through that one. Oh, that's terrible! And like, how do you
1: approach the parents of say a situation like that where they've had the unexpected death of a, a child? How do you approach the parents, or do you approach the parents, or do you wait for them to approach you? How does that come about?
0: From from my experience, this might be different for other journalists, but fortunately, there seems to be a lot of people in terrible situations have just have these angelic friends that just pop out of nowhere and they're normally sort of the the gatekeeper. I'm sure you've probably come across a lot of them in your career, these these this wonderful friends. So that that's often helpful, and asking them if they want to pay tribute. Because as I was saying before, like sometimes it's we're the only outlet for them to to remember their their, or mm-hmm. to be able to express to thousands of people how special their loved one was.
1: Do you get um, abused uh, wanting to talk to I don't know, say a neighbour or um, another? Person that lives near where the child, or you know, some terrible incident has happened. Have you been abused
0: personally? I haven't that badly that it stands out in my memory. I know that we've been called vultures and terrible human beings, and to to go away. And and sometimes it's just the old saying: "Just, I'm I'm really sorry. I'm just doing my job." Just, tell us yay or nay and then we'll get out of your hair. But um, fortunately I haven't taken on too much of anyone's abuse that it's really sunk in.
1: Mm -hmm. I think you're very lucky. Um, Are there times when you interview somebody who you don't want to interview for whatever reason and what would one of those reasons be?
0: This is a really tricky question. <laughs> so I like I like interviewing anyone um, most of the time. If it's a situation where it's not a crime story, it might be a story about a, a terminal illness of, of a child or, or a medical issue, someone raising awareness, it can be super horrible trying to ask those really blunt questions because you know on one side people like talking they they do like talking about and they're happy to talk about it but the other way they might interpret your questions as rude and or insensitive even though the art of creating a story to help the meet the audience connect with the issue is to ask those hard questions
1: Hmm. yeah I don't envy you um you know Tammy Mills
0: yeah I've met her before
1: yeah amazing woman Tammy um was a a regional reporter who was digging around looking for a story. You know how you talked about on those quiet days when there's not much going on and you're digging around? And Tammy um, discovered or uncovered uh, a story that was um, actually uh, like an unsolved murder of a young 16-year-old girl. And she actually ended up... um, uh, solving it. Are you aware of that job?
0: I am. I read about that in Ronnie Ron Little's book. That was very impressive.
1: Oh, just incredible. And for those uh, out there who don't know, um, uh, Tammy was looking around for something, a quiet day, and she comes across uh, a missing person by the name of Michelle Buckingham. And Michelle had gone missing uh, in Shepperton and um, they'd found her body. I think I'm right here. They'd found her body, uh, but they'd never been able to find out who, um, who had murdered her, and it's just amazing um, the passage of time and how our allegiances change, isn't it? Where um, the and relationships change, you may be with your husband, and then you found out he's had an affair or something, and then y- your allegiances change, and you think, "Well, I'm going to tell the cops what I know." But uh, Tammy actually um, um, did a story on it, and she somebody came forward and told the the whole the story about. I think it was the person that had murdered Michelle. He would he'd, um, had a uh, uh, terrible guilt complex and decided he had to tell somebody and um, he actually told our dear friend Mr Riddles. Um, have you found stories like that on quiet days? Well, not to, maybe not to that point, but is that something you sort of think, God, how good would that be?
0: I know. I think it would be amazing I I wish I could do something like that I had a weird I had two weird circumstances once there was this lady who was missing and a a few years back when I I worked at Wynn and I absolutely love missing people stories when when they actually turn into stories you know they're not people that have just just gone off to their mate's house and left their mobile phone um and so I was googling this lady heaps and I sort of was getting a bit of an instinct that something wasn't right here and her name was Samantha Callie and then I went to where she was living with these three other people in Kangaroo Flat and knocked at the door and said you know where's your housemate do you miss her and this this guy's gone oh yeah she's just gone off in the night you know down the road and I said was she nice and he goes oh on and off and then <laughs> I was quite surprised I was like god she's been missing a few days and and then they ended up being charged with their murder, so that was absolutely a bizarre one, and speaking oh my of goodness.
1: Robbie, so you're talking you're talking to the murderer at the at the house yeah, oh my God, yeah, did that give you the creeps a bit?
0: Not really, I just thought, oh. That's a bit strange. I actually felt, it's really weird. Sometimes you feel a bit sorry for them. You're like, oh, like isn't that terrible? Like you you had one moment of madness or well, one minute of madness and you've just ruined your whole life because of it. Like 45 seconds and everything's down the drain and you're in jail. I just, yeah. What um, were you going to
1: say about Ron?
0: Oh, just a really embarrassing one. with him. <laughs> The context: This was in twenty fifteen, so it was a few years ago. We, yeah. I think it was New Year's Day, and we drive out into the bush where they'd found a burnt out car. And he kept saying, "We've found human remains in the car," and I kept saying, "What do you mean by human remains?" Is the, and he he was answering me. And in the end, I said. Is the guy dead? And he said, "Yes, the guy's dead." You get the question of the year because I had this idea in my head that human remains might have meant that they chopped off his arm and just left it in the car, not the whole body. But I guess sorry, I shouldn't like, laugh. It is funny though. I mean, that's though the the beauty of news is that you're always trying to put things in basic terms for the average person, and that was a really bad example of it. <laughs> But but also
1: not even the reporter understands the language, so you have to uh oh I was gonna say dumb it down. That's a bit harsh. Um, what is it that you why do you think people are so interested in crime? What is the draw card?
0: The unknown. An unknown that we don't have to be responsible for, that we can just sit back and, you know, play on the mind. What what do you think?
1: I don't know. Um, I think, well, I don't, um, hey, who's doing the interview here? <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> no, but I actually think a, a lot of it is that so many of us have been in a situation similar, say, to when somebody, like, I don't know, say, the one I think about a lot is Jill Maher. Jill Ma has been out to a pub. She's had a great night with her friends. And how many of us have been in a situation like that where we've had a great night. We can't be bothered waiting for a taxi and we think, look, it's not far. I'll walk home. And Jill Ma was actually um, abducted. She was murdered and her body was dumped. I don't know what it was, 30 k's away or something. But I think it's the fact that we can put ourselves in so many uh, similar situations so we can sort of resonate with the circumstances. Look, I don't know, but that's one of the reasons why I think um, people are interested uh, in crime. And do you find that a lot of, uh, I would have to say, I don't know, 80% of the people that listen to the Australian True Crime podcast, um, uh, they are women. And I often wonder that. What is it about crime? Why are women so interested? But I think we can put ourselves in a lot of uh, victim shoes.
0: Do you, would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Like I guess that whole premise of like, you know, if I'm walking from here to another place and I, you know, see a man walking down the street, I like, oh, <laughs> to walk to the other side of the road or you know you think mm. oh they could attack me it's that whole, mm. that whole mindset is that we're so more aware and we want to know how to fight off crime and how to get around it and what what can we do to avoid it
1: mm. yeah it's um yeah that's fascinating i mean there's so many different um reasons why but and i think i don't quite know i'd be interested to know why men are, are interested in crime i mean you know, really, they're no dip. I mean, well, they are different. They're men and we're women. But I don't understand uh, the fascination with men interested in crime more so than women. Women, I just get. But um, so, Sarah, have you ever been um, threatened at work or felt in fear of your safety?
0: Yeah, there was one time when I went up to Achuca and there had been. Six arrests because police had uncovered what what they described as a, a crime ring, and it went from there was a spate of burglaries over I think six months from Yarrawonga to Echuca and, and it sounded like as a journalist it was an exciting story to cover and the, we went up there, they did a press conference and then we said, can we have the addresses of where uh, the houses that you've raided are because that helps to tell the story and they gave us six addresses and we went around to them just quickly got shots and we're at this particular property in a a not so nice part of Echuca and the camera operator's filming and I'm just looking at the house and then we see on the side of the house a window start to a window frame start to come off and a guy jumping through the window and I'm going to my cameraman look at this get film this and without thinking, just the journalist and me going film it, then the guy spotted us. He's peeped back through the window like a meerkat and gone, "Oi, what are you doing?" Because and I know this because we watched it back several times. And then, you know, like funniest home videos. Yeah. The the camera like you see it like pan to the ground, and I'm like to my camera operator oh we're gonna go get in the car quick quick go <laughs> so we're racing getting in the car going down the street he's naturally gone to turn left but it's a dead end so we've done a new turn and this was house was only maybe two or three houses up the street and we've turned around and the guy is standing there oh, in front of the car and he didn't look very good. Like I think he was in his his worst tracksuit. He could have haunted a house <laughs> and he was yelling at us saying, what are you doing with that camera? And, oh, my gosh, and it was so terrifying in the moment. And you think people that, that for a living we, we film things, of course, did I get my phone to film? No. Was I just sitting there going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> absolutely terrified. And the camera operator I was with, I think he was only 20 or 21-year-old boy, like absolutely fantastic cameraman, but he yeah. obviously never faced anything like this in his life. And we went for a bit and he's like got his hands on the bonnet and we're like, ah. And then um, he went to the ground to the side to pick up a rock and I'm talking a Sharon football sized rock and I just said to my camera go 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 and oh it was terrifying like to think if that rock had gone through the window it was yeah, it was really. Um, I don't think my hands have ever been so sweaty. And then we just drove for a bit, and we had to stop and gain our composure because we were quite <laughs> shaken up. And then we did call the Utica police and tell them that we we did also see this, so maybe maybe take a take a drive down there as well. And yeah, so that was quite a scary moment. Just while you're
1: on that, Sarah. So when the guy was coming out of um, when he was, uh, the window frame came off. Uh, I'm just thinking, why didn't he go through the door? Like, was he not supposed to be in that house, or why was he coming out of the window?
0: Oh, good question. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I think it looked like he was breaking in, or it looked like he. It maybe was his friend's house because the house had was originally used to harbour stolen items, from what Mm-mm. we were told. So yeah. maybe he was just <laughs> going back to. To collect something. Mm. Yes, because I'm thinking He's very busy.
1: Why wouldn't he walk out the door like ninety nine point nine percent of us? <laughs> 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 you know. Oh well, they're funny in a chuka. You know, yeah. if that's what you do,
0: <laughs> stretching his legs maybe.
1: Oh, do. So, um, tell us about. You said you had two. What's the other one?
0: The other one was about five years ago. I was covering a puppy farm and uh, two old people in their 70s and their son, they had 200 combined charges for running a puppy farm and in the end they were fined a really really huge amount of money. And this was fortunately before video links were in vogue like they are now in COVID Mm. and they had to do quite a long walk out of the court. So we're chasing them. And, you know, you know, we've all seen on the news. Yep. I think, though, when journalists are chasing people outside court, they should test the speed that they're going at because <laughs> I think a few weird records are broken there because it can be quite fast running in heels. And this lady had a walking stick and I'm chasing her, you know, are you sorry for what you've done? You know, do you feel sad for the animals? And she's gone to hit me with her walking stick. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, my God, I've never been assaulted at work and I don't want to start with a 70-year-old woman. So <laughs> I, like like a puppy, really, I, I sort of backed away and thought, oh. So her court walk was a little bit shorter. So that was the other time that I thought, oh, no, I'm in trouble here physically.
1: You know, I'm I'm surprised that you've, um, and I don't mean this to sound the way it's going to, but I'm surprised that you've only been really threatened like that twice because I'm thinking about all the times that journalists go to a house to interview somebody and you know how people, I don't know, slam the door or get out of my house or whatever. Have you ever had that happen to you?
0: I reckon I have, but I... Nothing stands out in my memory as, as being yelled at. There was an, another time outside court. We were covering this guy who was in a wheelchair who ended up being found guilty of um, pretending to be a charity and he um, like got in all this money claiming to be for a child and a family with a terminal illness. And, and funnily enough, I'd covered that child, the story, as a – A medical story so I knew about this case and they this guy really scammed this family and he always had like a guy pushing him in and out of court and he sort of went to run at one of the camera operators one day but of course yet again people we're, we're masters at filming but in that situation my my camera operator didn't press record I think um so <laughs> it's, it's a lesson that we we keep learning over and over again
1: uh yeah it, it's funny you say that like your tools of trade and when something um uh a little not a little bit traumatic but when something happens that you're not expecting you haven't got the cameras rolling oh that's funny yeah <laughs> Imagine what you could have when the cameras were were rolling if they were.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I had another time once where a horse um, bucked up because it got spooked by the camera, but we, that time the camera operator was recording and that clip was of great, you know, laughter for years on end with me <laughs> running in heels because I have a bit of a fear of horses but also a great big horse, you know, <laughs> jumping up and being, oh, no, where yeah, is yeah. going? And then, like, the girl fell off and the story was about her recovering from a horse ride and I'm thinking, oh, no, this is really going downhill, but it all turned out a bit.
1: Anyway, look, Sarah. Uh, I think uh, that's um, fascinating. You've given us a a great insight into reporting of crime and um, it's not an easy job. So, um, And thank you for what you do because you expose us to situations that without you we wouldn't know about. So uh, thank you for what you do. Keep up the great work. And you keep digging for those interesting stories,
0: all right? I will. I'm so motivated now. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for your time, Sarah. Thanks, Narelle.
1: Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, Hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya.